0: Uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts, this is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen, I am your Squirrel, the host, well-rested and highly caffeinated and ready to go. It is Thursday, November 10th, 2022. Mm. Get a good sip of that coffee. This is back to the San Francisco Bay French roast that I get at Costco. <laughs> good stuff. All right. This is Squirrel Chatter, a proud member of the Christian Podcast community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are sure to find something worth listening to. And we are reading through the entire Bible in the Legacy Standard Bible today. Uh, Tomorrow we will finish week 45. We are getting down to the end of the year. Not much Bible left, but plenty of good stuff to talk about. Our scripture reading today, as we continue to read through the Legacy Standard Bible, is Ezekiel 40-42 through and John 14. And it is Thursday, which means it's Theology Thursday. We are in the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 8 of Christ the Mediator, Paragraph 8. As I said yesterday, I'm going to hold off on commenting on Tuesday's elections until Monday of next week to let everything shake out. We del- still don't know for sure the control of the House, the control of the Senate. Um, governor of Arizona is still up in the air. Um, but one thing that uh, that I noted uh, Andrew Rappaport said on Twitter this morning, and I think he was right, um, the states that put election integrity as as important since the 2020 election they had the red wave where they tightened everything up and made it harder to cheat they had the red wave i was reading this morning that they had those ballot dumps in the middle of the night in michigan in wisconsin And in Georgia, just like they did in 2020, because those states did not tighten up their voter integrity. Florida did. And look at what happened to DeSantis. Huge margin of victory. Won Miami-Dade County. Yeah. You know, uh, so election integrity needs to be a high priority not just for the republican party for the american people we need to know that our 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 elections are safe and secure and that that there isn't so much opportunity for cheating as as there appears to have been in the last couple of election cycles and no i don't trust the results out of some of these states i the The largest county in Arizona, they ran out of paper in the printers. Apparently they print the ballots right there when you come in, which I've never heard of before. They ran out of paper in the printers and their vote tabulation machines were not working in the largest county of Arizona. Interestingly, the person who's in charge of the election, the Secretary of State, is Katie Hobbs, who's running against Kerry Lake for governor. <laughs> and uh, she was in charge of the election, and it's an election which has been fraught with problems. And uh, you know, was it al- was it uh, incompetence or was it uh, malicious intent? Um, that remains to be seen. Um, so many people don't want to look at what happened in 2020 and what may have been happening here in 2022 um, but it needs to be fixed before 2024 there is a serious problem with our elections there are election results that I just cannot trust Michigan Michigan Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona. These are key swing states that are having huge issues with their vote tabulation and with their election process. And things that need to be... Um, I was reading an article, 17 states, during 2020, states changed their voting rules to allow mass mail-in voting and everything because of, quote-unquote, the COVID crisis. Only six of those states rolled back those changes. Those changes were illegal and fraught with fraud. And that was why they were being pushed by who they were being pushed for. Those changes need to be rolled back. Elections need to be tightened up. Voter rolls need to be cleaned up. Somebody pointed out that I, apparently, like over a million stimulus checks, when they were doing the 2020 stimulus checks, the federal government sent over a million, or was it over 10 million? Maybe 10 or 11 million stimulus checks to dead people. How many of those dead people got ballots? How many of those dead people voted? So election integrity needs to be a huge part of whatever takes place in the next four years, two years, four years, six years, a dollar. Needs to take place. Needs to be a priority. All right. Well, without further ado, let us jump into our prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now Ezekiel chapter 40. In the twenty-fifth year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the tenth of the month, in the fourteenth year after the city was struck down, On that same day, the hand of Yahweh was upon me, and he brought me there. In the visions of God, he brought me into the land of Israel and caused me to rest on a very high mountain. And on it to the south, there was a structure like a city. So he brought me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, with a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he was standing in the gateway. And the man spoke to me. Son of man, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, and set your heart on all that I am going to show you, for you have been brought here in order to show it to you. Declare to the house of Israel all that you are seeing. Behold, there was a wall on the outside of the house of Yahweh all around, and in the man's hand was a measuring rod of six cubits, each of which was a cubit and a handbreadth. So he measured the thickness of the wall, one rod, and the height, one rod. Then he went to the gate which faced east, went up its steps, and measured the threshold of the gate one rod in width, and the other threshold was one rod in width. The guard room was one rod long and one rod wide, and there were five cubits between the guard rooms. And the threshold of the gate by the porch of the gate facing inward was one rod. Then he measured the porch of the gate facing inward one rod. He measured the porch of the gate eight cubits, and its side pillars two cubits, and the porch of the gate was facing inward. The guard rooms of the gate toward the east numbered three on each side. The three of them had the same measurement. The side pillars also had the same measurement on each side. And he measured the width of the entrance of the gate ten cubits, and the length of the gate thirteen cubits. There was a barrier wall one cubit wide in front of the guard rooms on each side, and the guard rooms were six cubits square on each side. He measured the gate from the roof of the one guard room to the roof of the other, a width of twenty-five cubits from one door to the other opposite. He made the side pillars sixty cubits high. The gate extended round about to the side pillar of the courtyard. From the front of the entrance gate to the front of the inner porch of the gate was fifty cubits. There were shuttered windows looking toward the guard rooms and toward their side pillars within the gate all around, and likewise for the porches. And there were windows all around inside, and on each side pillar were palm tree ornaments. Then he brought me into the outer court, and behold, there were chambers and a pavement made for the court all around. Thirty chambers faced the pavement. The pavement, that is the lower pavement, was by the side of the gates corresponding to the length of the gates. Then he measured the width from the front of the lower gate to the front of the exterior of the inner court, one hundred cubits on the east and on the north. As for the gate of the outer court, which faced north, he measured its length and its width. It had three guard rooms on each side. And its side pillars and its porches had the same measurement as the first gate. Its length was 50 cubits, and the width 25 cubits. Its windows and its porches and its palm tree ornaments had the same measurements as the gate, which faced toward the east. And it was reached by seven steps, and its porch was in front of them. The inner court had a gate opposite the gate on the north as well as the gate on the east, and he measured one hundred cubits from gate to gate. Then he led me toward the south, and behold, there was a gate toward the south, and he measured its side pillars and its porches according to those same measurements. The gate and its porches had windows all around like those of other windows. The length was fifty cubits and the width twenty-five cubits. There were seven steps going up to it, and its porches were in front of them, And it had palm tree ornaments on its side pillars, one on each side. The inner court had a gate toward the south, and he measured from gate to gate toward the south 100 cubits. Then he brought me to the inner court by the south gate, and he measured the south gate according to the same measurements. Its guard rooms also, its side pillars, and its porches were according to those same measurements. And the gate and its porches had windows all around. It was 50 cubits long and 25 cubits wide. There were porches all around, 25 cubits long and 5 cubits wide. Its porches were toward the outer court, and palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars, and its stairway had eight steps. Then he brought me into the inner court toward the east, and he measured the gate according to all these same measurements. Its guardrooms also, its side pillars, and its porches were according to these same measurements, and the gate and its porches had windows all around. It was 50 cubits long and 25 cubits wide. Its porches were toward the outer court, and palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars, on each side, and its stairway had eight steps. Then he brought me to the north gate, and he measured it according to these same measurements, with its guard rooms, its side pillars, and its porches. And the gate had windows all around. The length was 50 cubits, and the width 25 cubits. Its side pillars were toward the outer court, And palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars on each side, and its stairway had eight steps. A chamber with its doorway was by the side pillars at the gates. There they rinsed the burnt offering. In the porch of the gate were two tables on each side, on which to slaughter the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. On the outer side, as one went up to the entrance of the gate toward the north, were two tables— and on the other side of the porch, of the gate, were two tables. Four tables were on each side of the next gate, or eight tables, on which they slaughter sacrifices. For the burnt offering, there were four tables of cut stone, a cubit and a half long, a cubit and a half wide, and one cubit high, on which they lay the instruments with which they slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice. The double hooks, one hand-breadth in length, were installed in the house all around, and on the tables was the flesh of the offering. From the outside to the inner gate were chambers for the singers in the outer court. In the inner court, one of which was at the side of the north gate, with its front toward the south, and one at the side of the south gate facing toward the north. Then he said to me, This is the chamber which faces toward the south, intended for the priests who keep the responsibility of the house. But the chamber which faces toward the north is were the priests who keep the responsibility of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, who, from the sons of Levi, came near to Yahweh to minister to him. He measured the court, a perfect square, 100 cubits long and 100 cubits wide, and the altar was in front of the house. Then he brought me to the porch of the house and measured each side pillar of the porch, five cubits on each side and the width of the gate was three cubits on each side. The length of the porch was twenty cubits, and the width eleven cubits. And at the stairway by which it was ascended were columns belonging to the side pillars, one on each side. Chapter 41 Then he brought me to the nave and measured the side pillars. Six cubits wide on each side was the width of the side pillar. The width of the entrance was ten cubits. And the sides of the entrance were five cubits on each side. And he measured the length of the nave, forty cubits, and the width, twenty cubits. Then he went inside and measured each side pillar of the doorway, two cubits and the doorway, six cubits high, and the width of the doorway, seven cubits. He measured its length, twenty cubits, and the width, twenty cubits. Before the nave, and he said to me, This is the Holy of Holies." Then he measured the wall of the house of Yahweh six cubits and the width of the side chambers four cubits all around about the house on every side. The side chambers were in three stories, one above the other and 30 in each story. And the side chambers extended to the wall which stood on their inward side all around that they might be fastened and not be fastened to the wall of the house itself. The side chambers surrounding the house were wider in each successive story because the structure surrounding the house went upward by stages on all sides of the house. Therefore, the width of the house increased as it went higher, and thus one went up from the lowest story to the highest by way of the second story. I saw also that the house had a raised platform all around the foundation of the side chambers, where a full rod of six long cubits in height. The thickness of the outer wall of the side chambers was five cubits but the free space between the side chambers belonged to the house. And the outer chamber was 20 cubits in width all around the house on every side. The doorway of the side chambers toward the free space consisted of one doorway toward the north and another doorway toward the south, and the width of the place of the free space was 5 cubits all around. The building that was in front of the separate area at the side toward the west was 70 cubits wide, and the wall of the building was 5 cubits thick all around, and its length was 90 cubits. Then he measured the house, 100 cubits long. The separate area with the building and its walls were also 100 cubits long. Also, the width of the front of the house and that of the separate areas along the east side totaled 100 cubits. He measured the length of the building along the front of the separate area behind it, with a gallery on each side, one hundred cubits, along with the inner nave and the porches of the court. The thresholds, the latticed windows, and the galleries round about, their three stories opposite the threshold, were paneled with wood all around, and from the ground to the windows, but the windows were covered, over the entrance and to the inner house and on the outside and on all the wall all around, inside and outside, by measurement. It was carved with cherubim and palm trees, And a palm tree was between cherub and cherub, and every cherub had two faces, a man's face toward the palm tree on one side, and a young lion's face toward the palm tree on the other side. They were carved all around, all the house, all around. They were carved on all the house, all around. From the ground to above the entrance, cherubim and palm trees were carved, as well as on the wall of the nave. The doorposts of the nave were square. As for the front of the sanctuary, the appearance of one doorpost was like that of the other. The altar was of wood, three cubits high, and its length two cubits. Its corners, its base, and its sides were of wood. And he said to me, this is the table that is before Yahweh. The nave and the sanctuary each had a double door. Each of the doors had two leaves, two swinging leaves, two leaves for one door and two leaves for the other. Also. There were carved on them, on the doors of the nave, cherubim, and palm trees, like those carved on the walls. And there was a canopy of wood over the front of the porch outside. There were latticed windows and palm trees on one side and on the other, on the sides of the porch. Thus were the side chambers of the house and the canopies. Chapter 42 Then he brought me out into the outer court, the way toward the north. And he brought me to the chamber, which was opposite the separate areas, and opposite the building toward the north. Along the length, which was 100 cubits, was the north door. The width was 50 cubits. Opposite the 20 cubits, which belonged to the inner court, and opposite the pavement, which belonged to the outer court, was a gallery corresponding to gallery in three stories. Before the chambers was an inner walk 10 cubits wide, a way of 100 cubits, and their openings were on the north. Now the upper chambers were smaller because the galleries took more space away from them than from the lower and middle ones in the building. For they were in three stories and had no pillars like the pillars of the courts. Therefore the upper chambers were set back from the ground upward, more than the lower and middle ones. As for the outer wall by the side of the chambers toward the outer court facing the chambers, its length was 50 cubits. For the length of the chamber, The length of the chambers which were in the outer court was fifty cubits, and behold, the length of those facing the temple was one hundred cubits. Below these chambers was the entrance on the east side, as one enters them from the outer court. In the thickness of the wall of the court toward the east, facing the separate area and facing the building, there were chambers. The way in front of them was like the appearance of the chambers which were on the north. According to their length, so was their width and all their exits were both according to their arrangements and openings. Corresponding to the openings of the chambers which were toward the south was an opening at the head of the way, the way in front of the wall toward the east, as one enters them. Then he said to me, The north chambers and the south chambers which are opposite the separate area, they are the holy chambers where the priests who are near to Yahweh shall eat the most holy things. There they shall lay the most holy things, the grain offering." the sin offering, and the guilt offering, for the place is holy. When the priests enter, then they shall not go out into the outer court from the sanctuary without laying there their garments, in which they minister, for they are holy. They shall put on other garments, then they shall come near to that which is for the people. Then he had finished measuring the inner court. He brought me out by the way of the gate which faced toward the east and measured it all around. He measured the east side with the measuring reed, 500 reeds by the measuring reed. He measured the north side 500 reeds by the measuring reed. On the south side, he measured 500 reeds with the measuring reed. He turned to the west side and measured 500 reeds with the measuring reed. He measured it on the four sides. It had a wall all around, the length 500 and the width 500, to divide between the holy and the profane. Now John chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you have come to know me, you will know my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Then Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all so long, and you have not yet come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that that I say to you I do not speak for myself, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Moreover, or whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, that he may be with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will see me, will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. On that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, "'nor let it be fearful. "'You heard that I said to you, "'I go away, and I will come to you. "'If you loved me, you would have rejoiced "'because I go to the Father, "'for the Father is greater than I. "'And now I have told you before, "'before it happens, "'so that when it happens you may believe. "'I will not speak much more with you, "'for the ruler of the world is coming, "'and he has nothing in me. "'But so that the world may know "'that I love the Father,' I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Well, it is Theology Thursday, and we are in paragraph eight of chapter eight of the London Baptist Confession of Faith today. Paragraph, or chapter eight is of Christ the Mediator. And paragraph eight then is talking about the redemption that has been obtained for us. So let me read the paragraph and then we'll look through the scriptural proofs. To all those for whom Christ has obtained eternal redemption, he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them, uniting them to himself by his spirit, revealing to them in and by his word the mystery of salvation, persuading them to believe and obey, governing their hearts by his word and spirit, and overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom, in such manner and ways as are most consonant to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensation, and all of free and absolute grace, without any condition foreseen in them to procure it." Okay, a lot here. First, it's talking about the fact that Christ having purchased redemption for his people at the cross will not fail to apply that redemption to all those who are his. I, I've always put it this way. Jesus Christ is a perfect Savior. He perfectly saved at the cross everyone who he intended to save. No one he intended to save does he fail to save. And no one is saved whom he did not intend to save. And that's just the sovereignty of God in salvation. So, That's what it's saying here. So it begins with, To all those for whom Christ has obtained eternal redemption, he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them. This is so important to understand that God is not going to spend eternity pining over the people he tried to save and failed to do so because he does not fail to save anyone he intended to save that's John 6:37 all that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will never cast out all that the father gives and John 10, verses 15 and 16. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. For the sheep, not for everybody. And I have other sheep which are not from this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. This is referring to the Jews and the Gentiles, that he was going to to save people from out of the Jews and from out of the Gentiles. And he is still doing so. His people hear His voice. When we proclaim the gospel, His people hear His voice. They repent and they believe. Not because of anything innate in them, not because they're smarter to figure it out, but because the Father has given them to the Son. They are His sheep. Having been given to Him, they are His sheep. And they... Hear his voice. Those who do not hear his voice do not hear his voice because they are not his sheep. John, uh, uh, Jesus says that in John 10. He says to those who do not believe, he says to them, You do not believe because you are not my sheep. He doesn't say, Because you don't believe, you're not my sheep. Hear the difference. He says, You don't believe because you're not my sheep. He doesn't say, You're not my sheep because you don't believe. That is very important. Then John 17, 9. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. goes back to John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Romans 5.10 For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Referring again to those whom he intended to save. The 1699 continues, says, Uniting them to himself by his Spirit, revealing to them in and by his word the mystery of salvation. Persuading them to believe and obey. Persuading them to believe and obey. Christians believe because he makes us believe. Unbelievers do not believe because they are suppressing the truth in their unrighteousness. Believers believe because God in the Holy Spirit, persuades us to believe. Now we think of persuasion as, you know, making arguments and, and, and trying to get somebody to change their mind. You know, I persuaded him to vote Republican. That's not what it means here. This means made, not forced, but made. It's a, it's a persuasion that changes the heart and mind. But it is a surety. It's not a, maybe he'll believe, maybe he won't, because all that the Father gives him will come to him. So the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to us in and by his word. Nothing happens apart from the word of God. The mystery of salvation Persuading them to believe and obey. This is so important. The Holy Spirit works in us, through the Holy Scriptures, through the Word. Persuading us to believe the Word. So that we come to understand and accept and believe. This is why the reading of the word is so important. It's through the word that the Holy Spirit brings us to salvation. It's through the word that the Holy Spirit brings us more and more into conformity to the likeness of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is the instrument that, or the, the, the word is the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to bring us to faith and repentance and to sanctify us as we live the Christian life. This is why reading the scripture and studying the scripture is so important in the life of the believer. John 17 6 I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world they were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Ephesians 1 9 making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in him. And he reveals to us the mystery of his will. And then 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true and in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He has given us understanding. This is, again, why it's so important to understand that the the doctrine of God's sovereignty and salvation is not something that should make us feel arrogant or proud. God's sovereignty and salvation is one of the most humbling doctrines when fully understood. Because we who come to faith in Christ understand we didn't figure it out. It was revealed to us. He gave us understanding. To the degree that I understand the Scriptures, that came from God. I'm not that smart to figure it out. And that's just the truth of it. And so we look at the Scriptures And we come to understanding because the Holy Spirit gives us understanding. Because we are his. Because we have been chosen for salvation. The next clause says, governing their hearts by his word and spirit. This is again, this is talking about the the sanctifying process. That having been saved, the Holy Spirit is now applying our understanding of scripture to our hearts to make us obedient, and to conform us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 9, and 14 are given as proof texts here. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So believers have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the indwelling Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to conform us to the image of the Son of God. And if somebody doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he's not God's. And that's why we're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Doesn't mean we're perfect or sinless, but it's just a, just a fact. In verse 14, For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So every Christian is led by the Spirit of God. We don't follow perfectly, but we have that leading that the others do not. And it is through the Word that he leads us by bringing us to understanding and causing us to desire to obey. Continues, and overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom. This is not talking about the boss who hates you. This is not talking about your sports rival or your business rival or even your political rival. Who are your enemies? If you are a born-again Christian, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a son of God, Your enemies are the enemies of God. Who are the enemies of God? Those who oppose him. So it might be your sports rival. It might be your political rival. But it's certainly all who oppose God. This is... It's also the demonic realms. Satan and his angels. Who are the enemies of God. Now... When Christ overcomes the world, he overcomes our enemies. So this isn't some personal thing about, you know, military or politics or business or even personal relations. This is referring to the big picture. When Christ defeats the powers of this world, he defeats your enemies even though you might not recognize them as enemies. Psalm 110, verse 1. Yahweh says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. So he overcomes all of our enemies by overcoming all of his enemies, because his enemies are our enemies, because we are in him and he is in us. We are his. Therefore, his enemies are our enemies. 1 Corinthians 15:25 and 26, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Do you think of death as your enemy? It is, and it will be abolished, just as all other enemies of what is good and right will be overcome. Yeah, it, that's just that. That's just. A joyous thing when Christ wins we all win and folks he is coming back and he is going to set things right and he is going to rule and reign for eternity I I, I think there's going to be a millennial kingdom on the earth where he will rule and reign directly over this earth then this earth and this heaven are going to be dissolved and a new heavens and a new earth are coming and he will rule and reign over them for eternity. And his enemies will be no more. Because he is going to defeat his enemies, and his enemies are our enemies. Continuing. In such manner and ways as are most consonant to his wonderful and such unsearchable dispensation, and all of free and absolute grace, without any condition foreseen in them to procure it, Folks, this is unconditional election. No one whom Christ saves deserves to be saved. Not you, not me, not the Apostle Paul, not the Virgin Mary, not some list of saints put out by the church in Rome. No one deserves to be chosen by their own merit. No one deserves to be saved because of any condition that they have met in themselves. All the conditions are met in Christ. And he saves us. And it has nothing to do with us. It's something he does to us. This is the point in John 3 where, you know, he's talking about being born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again? How He can't climb back into his mother's womb and come out again. And Jesus says this. He doesn't tell him how to be born again. He doesn't say, pray this prayer, do this, do that, do this great work, go wash in the Jordan. He doesn't, you know, go you know, swim across the Mediterranean Ocean. He doesn't give any task to Nicodemus that this is what you must do to be born again. What does he say? John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. It, we don't cause ourselves to be born again of the Holy Spirit any more than we cause the wind to blow. Nor do we control being born again by the Holy Spirit any more than we control where the wind blows. And in fact, we cannot even see the wind blowing. We can only see its effects. We can see the branches waving. We can see the leaves blowing along the ground. We can see the rain going sideways. We can see the snow going sideways. We can see the effects of the wind, but we can't see the wind itself. So it is with being born again from the Holy Spirit. We can see its effect. We can see when someone is born again. But we can't see the Holy Spirit doing that work. We just see it when it is done. And then he gives us Ephesians 1.8. and Ephesians 1.8, I'm going to read 7 and 8, because 7 is, is key, I think, to understanding 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to the riches of his grace, which he caused to abound to us in all wisdom and insight. The wisdom and insight of God is what leads him to choose whom he will save. It is not any... When we say that the unconditional election, we're saying there is nothing in me innate in me, that would cause God to choose me. We're not saying that God doesn't have a reason for choosing me. He does have a reason. It just has nothing to do with me. It's his wisdom and his insight. He chose me for a reason. But that reason has nothing to do with any innate worth that I might have. It was his reason. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So we have a task, and we have a purpose. There's a reason why God chose us. But that reason has nothing to do with any condition which we ourselves meet. We are chosen by God. Okay, let me read this whole paragraph again in light of the verses we've looked at, and then we will call it a day. To all those for whom Christ has obtained eternal redemption, he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them, uniting them to himself by his Spirit, revealing to them in and by his word the mystery of salvation, persuading them to believe and obey, governing their hearts by his word and spirit, and overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom, in such manner and ways as are most consonant to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensation, and all of free and absolute grace, without any condition foreseen in them to procure it, Amen. All right, folks, that's Squirrel Chatter for Thursday. Have the best of Thursdays. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless.